My name is Casey Powell, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Courier, Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley, and he scores. What a goal from Josh Byrne. Kayla Trainer fires to score. You're kidding me. By Dylan Ward. Gets topside, Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Adam Moore and Hutton Jackson. What's up, pro lacrosse fans? How's it going today? We are here with our first recap episode of the season. It is week one of the PLL. It has come and gone. Some great games this weekend, some kind of blowouts as well, but I'm joined as usual by my co-host Adam Moore and LPG's contributor Isaac Berkey. Isaac, you made an appearance on the Fantasy Lacrosse podcast before. I think this is your first PLT episode though, so how's it going, man? It's good. Thanks for having me, although Hutton, I got a bone to pick with you because last week you were like, yeah, all the games will be close. I don't see any blowouts, and then last weekend happened, so thanks for that. (laughs) yeah definitely uh not the case i I really did think with the parody in this league that they were being a lot closer but really like the redwoods games were the only ones that were really kind of competitive um you know throughout and that was really just probably the first one to be honest uh even their chrome game they seemed to kind of pull away and chrome tried to make a late comeback but uh yeah we'll get into all that as well but um i want to get some opening weekend thoughts from you guys anything in particular that you want to hit off off the top i'm so excited for the league to be back right we've been waiting for so long I feel like the bubble was 100 years ago and also yesterday at the same time and I'm just really excited that week one's in the books we get we got things underway uh, and we can just start talking about pro lacrosse again at depth which uh, we love to do yeah I'm you know like like Adam said I'm glad it's back I'm glad we can finally have something concrete to talk about and not, well, this, this roster looks good on paper. This, this might do this, this might do that. And I'm glad we can uh, dive right into how things actually unfolded. Yeah, no, there's definitely some pretenders and some real contenders, I think, based on their offseason additions. And we'll start off with the Redwoods and Cannons, who I think the Redwoods are the real deal. Um, you know, they obviously put together a pretty good game. It, it was back and forth. This game was a game of runs. I think there was for the first three periods, I think it went Cannons scored all the goals and Redwoods score all the goals and can score all the goals. And then it might've been, you know, Redwoods again with, you know, coming, I, I think Cannons had a few goals in the fourth quarter, but uh, I was pretty back and forth in terms of teams just going on runs, but talk about uh, your opening thoughts from this opening day matchup, Isaac, uh, what were your takeaways from Redwoods Cannons? Redwoods are the real deal, right? They're, they're legit. I think we all agreed that the one piece that they were kind of missing in a sense in the off season was a face-off guy. TD Erland came in, I know Hutton, you and I talked about it off off this, but I I was skeptical. Like TD Erland was a stud in college, but after talking with Grenley and the one thing I wanted to see was how was TD going to be able to use his wings, right? Because mm-hmm. the rules are different. Um, and we saw TD lose his first three draws, but then after that, he only lost three of like 23. So I think, you know, what TD Erland was able to do was really, really impressive. Um and I, I'm, I can't wait to see him against Baptiste this weekend and then in a couple of weeks against Joe Nardella to see how he really fares. But the Redwoods are for real, man. They're, they're, pretty, they're pretty darn good and looking really good right now, I think. Yeah, and Jules Henningberg at midfield, certified stud there. 
He's absolutely uh, going to have a phenomenal season at the midfield. Uh, they were humming on offense uh, in their first game, in their game on Sunday. Uh, they look legit, and they're going to be a real contender, as they have been the first two seasons of the PLL. Yeah, no, it's so tough to decide who you pull, you know, on that midfield. I mean, it's just, you know, Jules drew a shorty, like, in game multiple times in both games this weekend. And uh, this Redwoods offense is so good. And their defense also came to play as well, yep. um, obviously. And Tim Troutner stood on his head. Um, I know there was some discussion whether he'd be even the starting goalie going into the season with the return of Jack Kelly and the presence of Brian Phipps. And he uh, he proved himself that he is the starter to stay, I, I think, you know, for, for good here after uh, both games, you know, playing really, really well. Um, I want to look on the Cannon side, though. Despite, you know, the, the loss, uh, Paul Rabel had a huge day, uh, four points in that opening game. I, I think he silenced the doubters a little bit. I, you know, I was definitely on the Paul is going to make a comeback bandwagon. I didn't think he was going to come out firing this much, I think, in the opener. You know, if you, you would have told me he scored four points, I would have been a little bit shocked. But he felt he looked like he was in his element in this offense. Um, as an off-ball guy, we saw some vintage Paul Rabel down the alley scoring goals, um, you know, finishing around the crease, uh, you know, and then later in the weekend we'll get into too. just he had a nasty lefty rip, um, you know, dodging from up top. So I, I really think he's going to fit well, continue to do well in this Cannons offense. And a lot of it's because the presence of Lyle Thompson, just, you know, everyone's got their eye on him and what he's going to do. And he also had a great debut along with Andrew Q. I think that connection between them on the Bayhawks uh, was alive and well, and, you know, Q kind of went into this, like, you know, Q's a shooter, like he's going to score a lot of goals. And he had one outside rip that was really reminiscent. I know you mentioned Adam of the um, 2019 MLL championship, but he was scoring a lot, just off ball around the crease, getting some garbage goals, you know, here just being very opportunistic. So um, I love seeing, you know, him, his play as well, but any, any other thoughts? I know there's a Syracuse guy. I'm sure you want to talk a little bit about on the cannons offense, Isaac. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we had we had a handful of rookies that looked good, but more Stephen Rafis looked really good overall this weekend. I think he kind of – he definitely came into his own completely on Sunday and just kind of said, hey, I'm here. But for me, this Cannon team – I mean, I'll say I was one of the first – I was one of the only people, I think, on the LPG staff that picked the Cannons to, to cover and to win this one. They didn't win, but – I, I like what Coach Quirk is doing with this Cannon team. You know, I think they're they're definitely a, a contender down the stretch, and they've looked good. You mentioned Rabel's back in form. You've got Lyle. We all know him, about him. But Ryan Drenner played really well this weekend, too. And he's another guy that, despite continuing to uh, challenge Westberg for the most teams played on in the PLL, I think he's he's continuing to do real, play really well, and he's going to be a threat. Yeah, absolutely. That they, they played phenomenal on offense, like you said, Hutton. I've been a big Andrew Q supporter for, for a while now, and I was really excited for to see him uh, succeed. Second in the league in points right now after one week. I know it's been he's played two games, so that's a little bit uh, of a cheat there, but he, he's second in the league, six goals, so played really, really well. And Nick Morocco uh, played played well in cage. Um, yeah, you mentioned Nick Morocco, 21 saves. I think he was the unsung hero despite that loss, Um, you know, and um, in the betting side of things, the over hit, um, and but the cannons, you know, covered or whatever. The ca- cannons covered both their games this weekend, so um, I think that's going to be an interesting storyline throughout the season too, to see like who are the teams that are going to cover the spread, um, and then who are the teams that you know are, are going to maybe be favorites, but not you know get into these one two goal games and uh, and not cover. So that's something we'll be watching closely. But yeah, I, I agree. I think overall, good showing from both teams. 
Um, again, I, I still would like to see a little bit more from the cannons at the faceoff stripe. Um, you know, I, I think they, they threw a different look out there on Sunday with Drew Simino. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who they go with between Tommy Kelly and Drew Simino. They, they only started one for each game. And another important thing too, is when these teams have back-to-back games or when they have two games in a weekend, they are allowed to have two more reserve players that can play um, in the second game. So that's what they did. Uh, they ended up, he ended up giving Kelly a rest uh, in, on Sunday and playing Drew Simino as well as playing Deemer class on Sunday and resting Bryce Wasserman, who we'll get to a little bit later. But moving on, let's go to the defending champs in the Whip Snakes playing the chaos in that revenge match um, between the, the two championship teams last year. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about Nardella, Isaac, since he had such a big day. And uh, I know you, you are pretty big on what this face-off uh, battle is going to look like throughout the season. I mean, Nardella just keeps doing what Nardella's done, right? Like, he's this guy's been a stud. Not to take anything away from Adler, we're definitely going to see him progress as this season goes on but the rules are you know everything's different in the PLLs for face-off guys and I think we saw a little bit of that learning curve but Nardell is just the guy continues to be a stud right like he's you know he added a goal and an assist and he's a legit offensive threat throughout the entire game while just dominating but the thing that I think gets overlooked a lot and we you know we touched on this too beforehand but he's not necessarily winning 90% of his clamps, right? Like he's, he, he's a guy who I think a couple of years ago was, might've been sub 50% on his clamps, but he's constantly winning his draws because a, his wings are phenomenal and they know what to do, but he's just a gamer. Like the guy does whatever it takes to win. And he had another impressive performance going 73%. Yeah, I think. You know, Max- go ahead. I'm sorry. You're good. Yeah, I think Max will bounce back, right? He, he's one of the, the best in the world, and, and this was probably an eye-opener for him, and uh, I think he'll, he'll go forward and, and have a, a good season for the chaos. You saw last year, Blaze didn't have a good game one. Maybe maybe Max is the guy on the, that, uh, on the chaos that didn't have the best game one, but he'll bounce back from there. Yeah, no, and I think you hit on, too, with the wing play is so big in the PLL, Isaac. And, you know, they got Michael Earhart and now addition of Matt Abbott as well. Like, you couldn't ask for two better wing players, I, I think, on a team. Um, in addition to Nardella just being a grinder, you know, at the stripe. And when he loses the clamp, he can still win that ground ball battle. Um, you know, I think Jake Watts mentioned he's one of the, the best to do it, um, probably the best in the league to do it after losing the clamp. I would throw Jake Withers up there as well, and we'll talk a little bit about him in that game. But, um, yeah, overall, the whips – you know, they were the whips. They, they played into their system. Again, they had seven different goal scorers, which we're used to seeing again. Like, you know, it's not just the Rambo Zed Williams show, even though those guys both had great games Zed had four goals on the day, like they run their system and they get all the guys involved. Michael Earhart had a two pointer. Um, you know, they, they are just, again, the consummate team right now to beat. And I just love the fact too, that a lot of their goals are assisted, you know, uh, Joe Keegan threw out that 61.7% of their six on six shots against the chaos were assisted. Um, and settle assist rate for the league last year was 41.1%. So um, that's high above the league average. And it just shows that they're all four moving the ball around hitting singles, as they say, um, you know, it's not just one guy taking it to the rack. Um, they, they really move the ball around well and um, they're opportunistic. And on the flip side, you know, the, the chaos did not look too great on defense. So give me some of your thoughts, guys, on, on how the chaos looked in this game. I mean, I, I think one thing we saw in, in this game, but throughout the weekend overall, is the teams that had, you know, your Redwoods and Whips that had a lot of the same body 
to them as they've had in the past looked really good. Some of these teams that had only had a week to kind of gel together, you know, they're, they're maybe needed a little bit more time. You know, there were times when things looked a little discombobulated or the communication wasn't quite there. And I think this was definitely one of those where the whips were just like you said, clicking on all cylinders, firing through their systems and the chaos just necessarily wasn't all there. Yeah, no, I'm, I'll be interested to see how, how the chaos bounce back this week against the water dogs, but uh, got to mention Mark Lassini getting a glick week one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My guy. Yeah. He, he definitely uh, saved one of those goals with his back. You know, it was vintage Mark Lassini, if you can even call it that. Um, but yeah, I, I have some concerns about their defense. I felt like that was their biggest need this offseason, and I don't think they necessarily addressed it. Um, they, they brought in Kyle Thornton, but uh, and they do get you know Johnny Sturdick back too, which is obviously a big piece. But they're they're the way they play is they're aggressive. They play out, they push out on you, and if you're playing a team like the Whips, they're just gonna pick you apart that way. You know, Jack Rollett's gonna take penalties. He's gonna be overly aggressive. I mean, that's the style they play, and they rely heavily on Blaze to make a lot of stops. Um, you know, that's just what they do, but I don't know. I would have liked to see another lockdown defender added or, you know, kind of replace Brody Merrill's role from year one and having one of those communicators. I think that's what they think Johnny Sertic is in addition to, you know, being a, a pretty good on ball guy as well. But I, I just need to see more from that defense. I think the offense looked very complacent. They took bad shots. Um, they were kind of crowded in their spacing. You know, I, I know they play that box style above the cage, so there's going to be a little bit less room and they're used to less room, you know, a lot of those box players. But um, I think the offense is something that, you know, I would write this off as, you know, maybe a fluke in week one, just some, you know, some rust that they got to work off the defense, though, it could be a major concern for me going forward. You know, if those guys don't perform, like they're going to struggle, they're going to have to win these games, you know, 15 to 14 or whatever, which they, they can do with this offense. But that's where I, I think I have the, the biggest concern to me. I think Adler is going to bounce back. I think this offense is going to, you know, still put up points, but the defense is going to be really their Achilles heel if they can't get it together. Um, you know, but like, like we said, this offense, it's got a lot of talent. Cloutier and Berg both looked good. The two additions, you know, despite, you know, not having too much time to gel. Um, Josh Byrne is still going to Josh Byrne. I, I still do not know how he scored that goal. Um, the, the fact that he got that much hang time to fake high and have Burnler go high and then put it low is just astounding to me. Um, I, I just, I, he's just a human highlight reel. And I think we're going to see more of that throughout the season, but um, yeah, if the, the chaos are to, to go far, I, I think they're going to really have to, to look at themselves in the mirror on the defensive end. Moving on to the archers Atlas. I mean, I, I don't think we've seen a route this bad in the PLL uh, until now. I, I think this might've been like the biggest blowout in terms of just a team looking so much more in a league out of the other um, in terms of the archers, they defeat the Atlas 18 to six and the, the archers just got off to a hot start and they, they never looked back, but uh, give me your thoughts on this game, guys. The archers are just offensively. They're firing like there's that offense. It's going to take a lot to stop that offense. There's so many pieces. And, you know, we, we talked about with the Redwoods who, who's going to draw a short, who's going to pull. I mean, say almost the same question with the archers like it's it's pick your poison right who do you who do you put a short stick on because it's gonna burn you in the end either way yeah and you know Hutton, you mentioned this is one of the biggest blowouts you can remember that honestly the last time i remember a massive blowout like this was the archers versus atlas that year one remember 
when it, for, mm-hmm. for the, the pick game, I think the archers almost dropped the 30 spot in, in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a tough one to watch just from pretty much the, the, the beginning the, the first whistle, man, the, the archers were buzzing and uh, the Atlas weren't. And obviously you could see, we mentioned already how many times uh, this archers team is pretty much coming back uh, as it was, obviously Graham Hasek is a huge addition. Warren Jeffrey, we'll talk about them in a little bit probably. Um, but I mean, that, that's the difference, right? These guys have had almost three years uh, of uh, continued play together. And this Atlas team is, is growing and trying to, try, trying to find uh, who they are. So uh, I was expecting an Archer's win, uh, but, but not like this. Yeah, no, and they had 11 different goal scorers in this game. And, then, you know, a lot of the usual suspects like Christian Mazzone, Tom Schreiber had a highlight goal, you know, no shocker there, Holman, Manny, and then some new additions in McNamara had a hat trick. Yep. And Connor Fields had a two-point goal and an assist. Funny that Connor Fields gets his first two-pointer on, you know, the Archers, not the Chaos, who are known for the, that two-bomb squad. Um, but they, though those two additions, McNamara and Fields, looked seamless into this offense. Um, you know, I think Coach Bates did a really good job of knowing his personnel and who he had and who, who were the pieces that were going to fit in nicely. And those guys did really, really well. And to quote Latrell Harris, who also had a goal in a nice game, this team's really fucking good. Um, you know, that's what he said on live television. And I, I just, I agree hundred percent. Like, you know, this team is just nasty right now. Um, and Scott Ratliff, kudos to him. He had a two point goal, two assists. He's just all over the field. He, he's ageless, you know, and he's not that old, but like, so he's a veteran in this league, been around a little while. And uh, he just, he looked like the same Scott Ratliff we've known since his Loyola days. And since, you know, his throughout his entire pro career. Um, and just think about the addition of Jared Connors, coming up as well is going to be, is going to be insane. Um, and I want to give some props to the Jackson place for making his return. I know you got to talk to him a little bit, Isaac, but uh, give give us some of his insight, your insight on, you know, his comeback and how important it was for him to, you know, make this roster. Yeah. Well, I think it, one of the things that really stuck out to me talking to him was we talked about how this Archers team has been together for so, you know, for the last three years, but the way this team has gelled was a huge part for him coming back. I know he even said, I can't remember word for word, but he basically said like, if I wasn't going to be able to come back to the archers and play for coach Bates with these guys, I'm not coming back. Like it's, that's how much of a a team and a community it was. And, you know, for Jackson, he was, he was working out with half these guys when he could just to try to get back to the swing of things. So there's definitely a, a team, community feel more so than just you know everybody talks about the Utah guys for the archers right but I think that whole lineup top to bottom is is a bunch of guys and they they really rallied around him and Jackson was talking about how you know it it might not necessarily hit him till after after the game was over and he was focused on beating Atlas but just for him to get back on the field I think is another amazing story that didn't get as much publicity as it probably should have this week you know absolutely and we're looking forward to your story coming out on jackson place um you can def- definitely check out lacrosseplayground.com for that to come out um again an amazing comeback for him you know going through what he had to do and getting surgery and and now coming back uh we're, we're excited to see him take the field and adam any thoughts on the goalie play from the archers yeah it was interesting to see it seemed like that uh Mr. Drew Adams was not going to see the field unless uh, Adam Gittleman got that penalty. Um, we'll be, it'll be interesting to see if, if that's what they go with going forward. But uh, Adam played really well. He was doing his usual out of cage moves, doing the doing awesome uh, kind of not just between uh, the pipes. And uh, if he's humming, 
just another weapon for for this archer squad. Uh, and then on the other side with, uh, you know, the, the Atlas, it, it was tough to see uh, them really hit Jack and Cannon hard from, from the outside. That's obviously um, been his Achilles heel for obviously for the last two years um, are those outside shots. And they certainly made him pay on those. He obviously uh, later in the game was killing them on the inside. This could have gotten a lot worse uh, if Kincannon didn't make so, some one-on-one saves. He's the best uh, in close, um, as Joe Keegs always says. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how, how things go forward. Kincannon was the one that kind of saved the uh, Atlas a lot in games past, and he just didn't have it early on in this one. Yeah, no, and I think uh, Cal Russo did a, a pretty serviceable job coming in for him um, when they, they pulled him. Um, but, yeah, it was just a little too late, you know. And it was nice to see Cal Russo make his debut after uh, sitting really in the player pool the past couple seasons. I think he was the e-bug during the championship series. But, um, yeah, overall, the Archers, I, I think, are, you know, one of the teams to beat. Again, their Achilles heel right now could be their face-off play. Uh, Stephen Kelly didn't do bad, you know, at the face-off stripe. He was 43% going up against Trevor Baptiste. You know, that's pretty – pretty decent job but again they kind of really need that game changer I don't know if they're going to give Gaffney a look at some point but at the end of the day um you know I think that could be again one of their Achilles heels and we'll just have to be able to, to watch out for that um going forward we know they can put up points we know they have a pretty solid defense here but are they going to be able to win them possessions that uh, can help them score and, and continue to have that high powered offense perform at a high level we'll, we'll have to see um, but moving on to the Sunday matchups, we have Water Dogs versus Cannons. This game is one I, I want to definitely talk a lot about. I think everyone agreed the Water Dogs won the offseason, but as we know, that doesn't always equate to wins in the score column. Give me a little bit of your thoughts on this game, Isaac. I, I think there was a lot of, uh, I don't want to say hype, because hype might not necessarily be the right word, but you mentioned everybody talking about Water Dogs won the offseason, Water Dogs this, Water Dogs that. And in the end, it was, you know, I think they've got the good pieces. It's just still going to take time. You know, so many new pieces that we saw flashes of, of good things from the Water Dogs, but they just didn't seem to be all clicking. I'm not an expert in any way, shape, or form, but there are some shots that kind of make you scratch your head a little bit. Some things seem forced. So I'm going to be interested to see how this Water Dogs team progresses over the course of the season, obviously we'll talk about what happened with Sowers um, a little bit later on, but I'm going to be interested to watch this team progress because I think they have the pieces. They have enough talent to be a very good contender and a dangerous team. Yeah, I, I was surprised too, you know, and, and we do harken back to it. Like last year, we were like, we'll see if they can gel in a week. They added a bunch of new pieces. Let's see if they have a little bit more time under the belt to, to kind of get this offense going. You know, when, when Steve Napoli snagged that Brody Merrill pass, took it down the field and, and uh, creased over and scored that first goal and got the boys hype. I, I thought that was going to be the turning point and clearly wasn't for, for this dog squad. Um, but yeah, surprising uh, to see the performance from, from that defense. You know, when, when everyone was saying they won the off season, a lot of that was because of the defensive side of the ball and who they added there. So in, uh, in, in cage with Dylan Ward. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if they can bounce back week two. Um, I, I still have faith in this squad there. There are too many good players on this team uh, to, to not uh, bounce back and have a better performance than they did uh, against the Cannons. Yeah, no, and no disrespect to Steven Napoli, but if your short stick defensive midi is leading you in goals in the game, um, you know, that's a problem. You know, he was tied with Michael Sowers with two goals 
on the day. Uh, you know, this offense needs to perform better. You know, Ryan Brown needs to get in this sack column. Kieran McCardle needs to play better. Um, and I think you, you mentioned it, Isaac, they, they weren't taking good shots. And there were some times where they didn't get any shots off at all. You know, they were getting killed by the, the, um, the clock, the shot clock and letting it wind down and, and you know, settling for either a bad shot or not getting a shot off at all. So yeah, th this offense is going to need a little bit more time to gel. Um, I thought their man up looked atrocious. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Sowers really thrives from behind at X, but when you're on man up, you need him above the cage. And there was a lot of times where he was just floating behind at X, you know, and, and not making himself a threat. And it was really easy for the cannons to slow play and, you know, kind of play five on five up top while Sowers was kind of, you know, kind of in no man's land behind the cage. So, you know, there's, there's obviously opportunities when you, you want to have a guy at X, but I think on man up, they, they have to figure that out, you know, especially that they got a two minute um, non-releasable and an opportunity to really kind of get themselves back in this game on the Sowers hit and they, they just weren't able to capitalize. So I don't want to also, you know, shift all the blame on the war dogs. I think the cans played really, really well. Obviously Lyle Thompson had a great day, had a great game. Paul Rabel again had that nice lefty rip that I, that I mentioned earlier. Q another hat trick, I think in one quarter with this game. So they, they did really, really well. And Rafis too had, had a great game. So, um, you know, credit to the cannons as well. And Drew Simino grinding um, against Jake Withers. That was a nice battle to watch. I think Jake Withers, I think Withers kind of did serviceable by even losing the clamp, still winning some of the ground ball battles and had some help on the wings. But, you know, that, that was another area that, you know, they, they could definitely see some improvement. And the defense just seemed like they were sliding late, you know, and this is no disservice. I really like BJ Grill, um, but I, I don't understand why Ben Randall doesn't dress over BJ Grill or Sabia. You know, I, I think Liam Burns is probably that best defender on the team um, in terms of, a, you know, a help guy um, and kind of do it all. And then Gobrecht is obviously your number one cover guy, but Ben Randall has experience covering Lyle Thompson too. I, I don't understand why you don't have both of them on the active roster to give, you know, Lyle a different look. Um, again, Lyle's still going to score a lot of goals. That fourth goal that he scored with like no angle underhand, you know, going five hole and Dylan Ward. I don't think anyone could have stopped that, but you know, this team was sliding late. Um, they were sometimes hedging when they shouldn't have. I remember they hedged against a goal, I think with, Rafis and Rafis just picked them apart, throwing it to Q like on the doorstep. So, you know, this defense needs to figure it out. I, I think Coach Copeland, maybe his logic behind having Grill and Sabia start was to have, you know, some cohesiveness and some consistency from uh, the first year, you know, on this team. But, you know, I, I think Randall's too good to not dress on this team. You know, you got to find a way to get him into your lineup, um, in, in my opinion. Uh, I've been a you know big Ben Randall fan for a while. Do I think it would have changed the outcome of this game? Probably not because the offense just you know, wasn't getting it done. So I don't think it, you know, having him would have really changed the outcome, but uh, you know, it, it's something that I definitely would look to, to see them maybe change up going forward. Um, and let's talk about the Sowers injury a little bit too. I mentioned that two minute non-releasable um, where Reese Eddie hit Michael Sowers in the head. It sounds like he might have a concussion. Um, he had actually had to go to the hospital after he, he ended up keep playing in this game, which is kind of a bad look. I, I think they should have probably, taking him into concussion protocol, sat him out for the rest of the game. Um, you know, he kind of got up pretty quickly. So then that's why I didn't think it was too bad. But it was a pretty nasty blow to the head, cross check to the head. Um, and th that play got a little bit of talk on social media. I know I, I mentioned, I, I think Eddie could have been suspended for this game just because it was a pretty nasty hit to the head. I don't think he intentionally went to hit Sowers in the head. And so if, you know, you're judging it on intent and maliciousness, you know, I don't think he was malicious or intentful in that, but he was intending to cross-check him, whether it be in the back or not. And that's where I, I have, you know, some issues with it is he wasn't going to play the body 
and, you know, try to stop the goal. The goal had already, you know, scored. I get it's a bang, bang play, but Sowers had already released the ball before Eddie cross checks him to the head. So that's something where I think, you know, two minute non-releasable is warranted for sure. Um, again, would have maybe liked to see a suspension there just to kind of eliminate that because I, I, I'm worried about a lot of these head injuries. You know, we saw it with Zach Carrera last year where he missed some time. Um, you know, you just got to make sure that you, you eliminate these plays from the game. And that's why I would have liked them to maybe set a precedent. I don't think he's going to get suspended. And, you know, I won't really bat an eye if he doesn't, but I, I think you have to set a precedence that, you know, these type of hits aren't going to be tolerated. These late cross checks, was it a bang, bang play? Sure. But the result was still someone got cross checked to the head. And if you look at Eddie, he was clearly going to cross check him. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if it changes, whether you're watching it on slow-mo or fast pace, but anyway, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I, I agree with the two minute penalty. I think it was a bang, bang play. I don't foresee a suspension coming in. Uh, I, I don't think it was an egregious uh, hit on purpose. So um, I, I, I agree that the penalty, I don't foresee and don't expect a, a suspension to, to come into play. The, the, they were going at it 100% and uh, sometimes that happens. I agree with you. It should, the, the cross check is, is a tough look, especially when it's in the head. Uh, don't see a suspension happening, um, but I, I do agree. Uh, those kinds of things, it would be nice to see them uh, a little bit less on the field. Yeah, yeah and you I, don't need to be a member of Hockey Twitter to disagree with me, Adam. I just want to point that out. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I, I, I stay off of Hockey Twitter with how bad the Flyers have been lately, so I'd rather stay away from it anyway. <laughs> oh, the Flyers. That's another conversation for another day. But, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Hutton, that I think, um, I think the penalty was definitely warranted, and I think it's something that – they could throw out a one game suspension and I think, you know, not, not really anybody would bat an eye at it because of the nature of it. Was it, you know, was it intentional? No. I think if it was something where Reese said he had walked up to Michael Sowers and just cross-checked him in the back of the head, completely out of the play, then I think you're talking something more, but you know, it comes down to the message you want to send as far as how you guys are going to be, how, how the league office will be policing the game and kind of keeping player safety. But like you guys both mentioned, it was such a bang, bang play. There wasn't malicious intent. Is it really unfortunate to see a young player like Sowers and exciting player like Sowers go down? Absolutely. But I'm with you guys it could go either way. Um, I, I know, I think some of the, uh, I saw some other guys on Twitter saying that it definitely should have been a suspension, um, but you know, it can go one way or the other. Yeah, no, and that's where I'm kind of, I, I tend to be in the gray area. Like, again, I'm not going to bat an eye. I just want to make sure, like, I think it was a good opportunity to set a precedence. Um, and you obviously had, you know, times in the past where Garrett Apple obviously was out of control on Gaudette and got suspended. You also had um, Brett Queener in year one on Jules Henningberg. I would think you would, uh, we would all agree that both those were instances of where there was intent to kind of do harm or really attack the player, where I don't think that was the case with Eddie. Um, and so again, if that's your criteria, then yeah, I don't think a suspension is warranted, but I don't think that's the only criteria. I don't necessarily think intent is the sole reason that you could give someone a suspension. I think it definitely is a reason why you do give someone a suspension, but I think, you know, that's where I, I just want to make sure they they're watching out for the players and protecting, you know, the player's safety, because there's a lot of instances, not necessarily of, you know, blows to the head, but where it did get a little aggressive and rough after the play. And I think, you know, you just got to make sure that you get, kind of eliminate that and, you know, and unfortunately, like if it means suspending a guy for a play that he didn't intend to hurt somebody, like I can live with that, you know, 
But, um, you know, again, you know, the, the debate goes on. It's Twitter. That's where people are going to debate and that's where people are going to give their opinions. And my opinion is my opinion. So um, I don't get too caught up on whether it's right or wrong. And, you know, it looks like he won't be suspended and he'll be able to play in the next week. But um, yeah, hopefully Sowers is the, the biggest thing is hopefully he's all right. And he has a good recovery and um, everything's okay with him, but we'll be monitoring his status going into a weekend where the water dogs play twice. So that'll be definitely interesting to, to watch out for. That brings us to our final game when Redwoods Chrome, um, the Chrome's first game of the weekend. Uh, I want to get your thoughts, Adam, off the bat on this Chrome team. Um, and again, the, Red, the Redwoods, you know, again, get going 2-0 and on the weekend. Uh, what did you think of this game? Did you think it was going to be a little bit closer than it actually ended up being? Yeah, yeah. I was expecting uh, this one to, to be a little bit closer kind of uh, between the lines, you know, three goal difference three-point difference uh, maybe shows it was a little bit closer than it was for most of the game. You know, the Chrome did uh, make a little bit of a comeback there uh, down the line. John Galloway uh, didn't have his best uh, uh, performance early on and came back uh, in that third and fourth quarter in the second half and, and played pretty well for, for that Chrome squad to be able to come back. But uh, again, we hit it home already. The Woods are for real. We, we knew that coming into the season. Uh, I think it did hurt the Chrome to not have a guy like Randy Stotts uh, who, who's uh, out with a lower body injury. They lost Jordan Wolf early on in this one, which obviously hurts. So arguably their two best players, right, were, were, were down for the count. So um, it'll be tough to see what they do. Uh, you know, they picked up uh, our guy Tommy Palasek, which we're really excited about off the, the waiver wire coming in uh, to this one, and Kevin Rogers, D3 player of the year last year, which we're really, really excited about on, on PLT. Um, but, yeah, tough tough look for, for the Chrome to – come into this one without Randy, lose Wolf in this one. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe you know, moral victories don't count in, in the win-loss win column, but uh, they were able to come back and maybe they gelled at the end there and, and they can use that going forward uh, for the rest of the season. Moral victories. Are you saying Jackson Moral, <laughs> who actually had a, a pretty decent day, um, you know, in, with the w- absence of Wolf, I think he's going to kind of be that initiator on this offense going forward. You mentioned Tommy Palasek and Kevin Rogers. You know, I, I think we might maybe see Palasek more at uh, midfield. Maybe they'll run him at attack as a, you know, a righty attackman. Um, but, you know, I think McIntosh did pretty well when they moved him down. Yep. Uh, you can also run Heacock down there. So they have options for sure. Um, but I do like both those pickups again, our boy, Tommy Palisak should have been probably on a roster to start, but the fact that he gets his shot is, you know, encouraging enough. Um, you know, I, I still don't know why a team hasn't picked up Dylan Malloy, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, yeah, but it was pretty concerning to see both Wolf and Stotts go down. Um, you know, obviously Stotts not in the game, but had, you know, sustained an injury during training camp. Um, so yeah, I, I think, the season, it, it's not lost yet, but it's definitely looking pretty bleak. They're going to have to, you know, definitely change some things around going forward. Um, it's just not, you know, not not the best start you you would hope for for the Chrome. Um, I, I don't think, you know, I think they're a great solid team and a great foundation that they're going to be okay, but um, definitely some interesting storylines to see. What do you see from the Redwoods, Isaac, that really encouraged you? You know, are they they for real or are they pretenders? You know, they, they went 2-0, and but beat some solid teams. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Redwoods overall? I mean, I think the Redwoods are for real. I think we, you know, we, we touched on that in talking about their first game, but you've got, I'm just trying to count in my head here quickly as I, you've got five goals that scored or five guys that scored at least two goals in that one. I mean, Rob Pinnell has looked like Rob Pinnell of old, you know, I think this weekend we saw 
we saw multiple guys go back to their old form after kind of a, a less than stellar bubble season. Rob Pinnell was definitely one of those. Adding Jules Henningberg back, we've talked about, you know, I, I think you you guys have talked about how the Water Dogs add, basically got Ryan Brown with the 11th pick in the draft, right? Like mm-hmm. the Redwoods got an entry. It's, it's like they got an entry draft pick without having to spend a pick to get Jules Henningberg back, right? So mm-hmm. like he comes in he's back to form miles jones looked good he didn't even score on on sunday he's played well perkovic cavanaugh like the the whole team has looked good the thing with the redwoods though and i know nat st laurent touched on this after the game Ryder garnsey just didn't like Ryder garnsey didn't really get that many touches so mm-hmm. you get an offense that's so loaded that you've got a guy like Ryder garnsey not necessarily making as big of an impact as he he potentially can so where is Ryder Garnsey going to fit into this offense and how are they going to work him in more? Cause you want to get him involved. He's, he's not a guy that you want to just kind of let sit there. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues to make an impact for this team and how they continue to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And another guy that I think, you know, the biggest steal of the entry draft is Ryan Lee. He's having a phenomenal season so far. I think we all kind of knew what he could do judging off of his MLL bubble last year and previous MLL years and even watching him on the Colorado mammoth, but he's been having a great season, you know, really has that strong righty presence for them. And, you know, I think what you mentioned with RP three, he takes all the pressure off this offense. You know, RP three is the guy, he is the ball carrier of this offense and he takes a lot of pressure off of it. And that's what they were really lacking last year. You know, they tried to make Ryder that guy. Um, Jules was kind of that guy in year one. And now with the presence of Rob Pinnell, they are able to kind of let these guys, you know, go out and play, get some shorty matchups um, and really, you know, you know, win those matchups soundly because the presence of Rob Pinnell kind of takes the focus off of all the other guys. So, um, yeah, I think his presence has been huge. He obviously had the game winning goal against the Cannons um, and some goals late as well to kind of lock up that victory against the Chrome. So his presence has been huge. Um, And, you know, that I I, I too think the Redwoods are are the real deal and uh, they're definitely going to be a force to, to be reckoned with. Now, we mentioned two attackmen that the Chrome were missing. They were missing a third, and that is Matt Gaudette. Um, We're not going to touch on this too much because the details are still fuzzy and we don't know, but the league did release a statement that uh, Austin Stotts and Matt Gaudette were involved in an altercation Saturday night. Um, it was at a bar. I don't know if it was the hotel bar, but they were involved. In a, I think it might have been the hotel lobby, um, but details are still coming out. Uh, there's also a nasty video of the aftermath um, that you guys can check out online if you can find it. Um, I don't recommend it if you have a queasy stomach, but it is of Gaudette's hand after the incident. Um, we're not going to talk any more on it because, again, we don't know the details. Um, the league has put out a statement. There's going to be more from the story coming out. Unfortunately, it's probably going to dominate the lacrosse storyline for a long time, um, you know, for a couple weeks to come. And it doesn't look good for either of these players, you know, their future in the league. So we'll definitely be monitoring the situation. Don't want to speculate any more than that, but it is important for us to, to talk about that a little bit since it was one of the bigger stories of the weekend. And what it was a crowded weekend between Gary Gate being announced, the PLL returning, um, there's a lot of lacrosse storyline. So it, it was definitely a busy lacrosse weekend. Um, we mentioned the two pickups off the waiver wire for the Chrome. What we haven't talked about yet is that Ty Zanders also reported that Brendan Sunday is getting picked up by the Cannons, and that is happening after they released Bryce Wasserman to the player pool. Now, Bryce didn't play on Sunday. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on the 2020 MVP from the MLL season now not on a roster? Do you think he'll get another shot with another team, or um, was there not enough that you saw from him on Saturday to kind of 
you know, make a team take a chance on him? I think somebody's going to take a chance on him. I mean, I, I know I, I got a chance to talk to Bryce before the season. Um, and I, you know, I, I saw, we all, we all saw what he did in the bubble. Right. And he, for the MLL, he had a fantastic showing. And I think he's a guy that just kind of needs the opportunity. He's also a guy that is willing to do kind of whatever it takes. So he's a talented player. Granted, there's so many talented players out there not sitting on a roster right now, but I think there's going to be somebody that needs needs a guy like that who's going to take take an opportunity on him. And it's probably going to pay off, honestly. It'll be interesting to see. Like like you said, Hutton, there, there's a lot of good players right now that are were in the player pool before Bryce got there. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, like Isaac just said, be crazy if the 2020 MLL MVP wasn't on a roster for the rest uh, of this season. So uh, he, he's good enough to play in this league. It'll be interesting to see uh, if any coaches feel like he'd be a good fit for their squad going forward. Yeah, no, you had a 2020 MLL MVP and a 2016 tour time winner still sitting in the player pool. So it just shows the, the parody of this league right now. Um, so hopefully they take a chance. I actually like Brendan Sunday on the Cannes roster a little bit better too. I think Bryce is overall the better player, but Sunday brings a little bit more versatility as an off-ball threat. He can play at attack if you need it. I don't think he's going to, given the loadedness of that attack. Um, but they can also run from the midfield. I think that's where you know Bryce maybe wasn't adapting too well to the midfield, running out of the box as well as maybe a Brendan Sunday will. But we'll, we'll have to see. Again, I think Bryce is overall the better player. So that's why it, it makes it a tough decision for me, but I can kind of understand it. Um, so we'll just have to you know see what happens uh, You know, monitor this waiver wire going forward. That wraps up our recap portion of our podcast. We also got to talk a little bit about the PLL with one of the legends of the game, both field and box, and now an NLL Hall of Famer in Casey Powell. So stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, listen to our interview with Casey Powell. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today's episode is sponsored by Ducan Supply Co. Ducan is a men's body care brand that features an array of military-inspired products from their signature big-ass bar of soap to their bourbon-infused beard oil. I personally use their big bourbon beard oil that is made with a hint of buffalo trace. I like the oak barrel scent that it gives off, and it makes me feel good about my beard, even if it's not as nice as the one that Adam's sporting these days. As an Army Reservist, I also love that they donate a portion of their proceeds to U.S. veterans. So go ahead and check out Ducanon, use our code LAX10 to receive 10% off your order, and find your own signature scent. Welcome back to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. Today we're joined by one of the greatest to pick up a stick, Casey Powell, and the list of accolades could fill up a book. Casey was a four-time All-American and national champion at Syracuse, MVP in both the MLL and NLL, and at 38 in the MLL, and is now one of the newest members of the NLL Hall of Fame. Casey, first off, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? Great. It's uh, great to be joining you guys on Pro Lacrosse Talk. I'm a big, big fan of the show and um, excited. Yeah, no, we're happy to have you on. It's good timing, too, with the NLL Hall of Fame news. Again, congratulations on that. Um, We also want to talk a little bit about 
this recent Syracuse news with Gary Gate taking over the program. He'll be the fifth head coach in uh, program history. You were coached by great Roy Simmons Jr. Um, and John Desco, I believe, came in a year after you. But what are your thoughts on this current state of the Syracuse program and uh, Gary Gate taking over? Well, obviously, uh, big news. My phone's been getting pinged up, probably uh, 100 text messages on, uh, you know, from anything from wow to, to let's go type thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost, I want to give it up for Coach uh, John Desco. He was uh, my assistant coach and uh, 17 years as assistant. And the year I graduated, he turned to head coach and had a remarkable career as head coach. And um, I'm proud to call him my friend. Uh, he's, he's an amazing mentor, and he did an unbelievable job as the leader of the greatest lacrosse uh, program in the land. Um, his career is, uh, you know, up there with one of the, as uh, one of the all-time greats and uh, uh, what he did for Syracuse and what he did for the sport is nothing less than incredible. Um, with that being said, I think, um, you know, my idol uh, growing up is Gary Gate, um, uh, him and his brother and the swagger that they had from, from the first game I watched in 1988 uh, was the reason I wanted to be uh, Gary Gate was the reason I wanted to go to Syracuse and and to, um, you know, uh, to, to a guy that's revolutionized the game of lacrosse and uh, who's become an unbelievable coach and, and just a, an ambassador of the game. He's always been a, a great leader to have him lead the Syracuse Orange to the next uh, the next step of, of uh, you know, uh, uh, greatness is uh, it's incredible. It's an incredible feeling. I think he's going to do an unbelievable job um, bringing in and showcasing the, the top players and and uh, bringing uh, Syracuse, uh, you know, back to National Championship Monday. Yeah, no, we're really excited to, to see uh, Gary uh, on the men's sidelines this year. Um, and, you know, speaking of Gary, you know, we wanted to go into your, your pro career a little bit and, and those early days in, in, the, in Major League Lacrosse. And, you know, similar to the PLL, you guys started barnstorming that first year in 2000, uh, the Americans versus the National. So we wanted to kind of dive into uh, that experience. And when did you first hear uh, that there might be a pro outdoor league? Uh, well, um, you know, growing up, uh, it was never a dream because there was really a, there was an indoor lacrosse, sure. which I know about. There was no professional um, and, uh, you know, op- opportunity. Uh, so my goal had always been to go to Syracuse and, and I uh, had a good career. I finished it. I, you know, I said, hey, my, my dreams have came true. This is amazing. Um, but, but I was hired by Warrior um, to uh, help uh, product development and marketing uh, for their company and uh, really hit the road and, you know, got the word out there. And, and obviously, Dave Moore and Warrior was a founder of the league. So I uh, caught wind of it early um, in 1999, and we knew the opportunity was going to exist. Uh, obviously, nobody knew really how it was going to un- unfold and what it was going to be. But um, in hindsight, it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, that first summer season of the Americans against the Nationals was uh, a great showcase of un- unbelievable players, uh, 40 of the best playing against each, each other every weekend. And it was uh, it was the start of outdoor field lacrosse. So it was great to be a part of it. It was great to uh, have, a, have a long uh, career where I was able to play on a lot of different teams for a lot of different coaches and and with it against the, the greatest players in the game. So uh, to have that opportunity to play Major League Lacrosse was uh, unique and special. And uh, it helped me, um, you know, with everything else that I've done in lacrosse. It gave me a platform to continue uh, building uh, my brand and who I am and uh, uh, my passion of being an ambassador of the game. So I'm very thankful for the opportunity. And I think that uh, obviously with the PLL uh, now in place, uh, the future is right for professional lacrosse. No, absolutely. And, you know, after that barnstorming season, you went to a 
city-based model with the Long Island Lizards, which you are on team with, with your brother Ryan, as well as both Gate Brothers and a handful of other great lacrosse legends. Uh, talk about that inaugural season and winning that first MLO championship. Yeah, it was incredible. I was on a, a really good team uh, with Pat McCabe and Sal Acasio and both Gate Brothers and uh, a bevy of uh, supporters, uh, mostly from the Long Island area. So we had an incredible team and is really, I felt our championship uh, to lose. So um, it, it was tight. Uh, I know Rochester had a great year and they were knocked off in the semis that year and we were able to uh, do what we needed to do to get the job done. A uh, really funny story. Uh, coach Di Tommaso was John Di Tommaso was, was our head coach and he gave this great speech before the championship game. And I just remember Paul Gates standing up, you know, next to his brother after the speech and ran, ran out and before he left the locker room was let's go Gator. And then he goes, <laughs> gear and they just kind of went out and we went out and did what we had to do but uh, those guys are composed whether they're playing uh, or coaching and uh it was a it was a, obviously a unique opportunity for me to play with my idols for the first time and and to win that first championship and really set the course for uh, major league lacrosse yeah it most certainly did and you obviously had an extensive and illustrious career and you know i wanted to touch base uh, on the longevity that you had in the league you won that mvp at 38 right with the florida launch what really went into kind of that long-term success? What, what was the secret sauce for you? Um, uh, development and um, adaptability. Um, I was able to play different positions in college. I was a, a you know, three-sport athlete in, in high school, and um, each of those sports, I kind of played different roles. I wasn't a very good basketball player. found a way to be good on defense and, and feed the ball, and uh, I was an option quarterback in, in football, and um, you know, uh, my, my strength there was decision-making and, and getting the ball to the right people. And um, I was able to, um, you know, stay healthy enough. Uh, I played both indoor and outdoor. <clears throat> At, there were years where I was playing 30 weekends a year um, combined. So um, I tried to play one or the other throughout my career. I took a couple breaks here and there. And then I thought I was all done and I moved to Florida. Um, I was a uh, the, the coach and the director of lacrosse at a private school. And then uh, I kind of, you know, went to the league, said, Hey, we gotta, we gotta put a team down here in Florida. And they did. And, uh, that was, a uh, an opportunity for me to kind of, uh, extend my career. And I just remember coming out of the gates, uh, you know, at 38 and I felt really good and I had a great, a great team, um, and, and a great group of coaches that allowed me to do my thing. And, um, I was able to, uh, to somehow get the job done still, but, um, I kind of, you know, my success is, uh, kind of what I teach and what I coach. It's, it was just paying attention to the little little things. Um, and then uh, I always tell the kids, the legs feed the wolf. And uh, my the wolf is my spirit and my competitive side. And I was able to get and stay in, in good enough condition and tip-top tip condition to, uh, to make an impact that year. No, that's awesome. And now, you know, since being retired, looking at, you know, the new iteration of professional field lacrosse and the Premier Lacrosse League, talk a little bit about your thoughts, um, you know, from this opening weekend in 2021, as well as, you know, your overall thoughts on the league as a whole. I think it's really exciting. Um, obviously, uh, the, the, you know, watching this weekend, I caught a bunch of games and very excited to, to watch uh, the best players be competing and uh, just the the level of play and the level of intensity um, it's 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 all out and it's very exciting to watch and I think what uh, uh, Paul and, and uh, you know the PLL have done and the people that are behind it have done is uh, is incredible um, the, the way they've positioned it um, the excitement that they've created and the opportunities that they're providing for the for the world's best players to, to have a stage is is uh, is incredible and, and it's fun to watch um, you know the the 
the level of play of the whip snakes and the archers uh, is off the charts. I think the, uh, you know, cannons are, are showing that they're going to be up there. And, and if I'm on the, you know, the, the uh, Atlas or the, or the, or the chaos, I'd be a little bit concerned right now. My, you know, they have a lot, a lot of holes and uh, uh, you know, not, not a whole lot of time to prepare and, uh, and to fix those things. So it's going to be a really competitive summer I'm fired up. I'm hoping to catch a, a few games live, but, I've downloaded the Peacock and uh, have been watching the games and the replays, uh, and uh, it's been fun to watch. So, uh, the you know the future is bright for the PLL and in the future of professional lacrosse. Absolutely, it was a good opening weekend, and uh, as you said too, it's you know not not that much uh, turnaround time between you know weeks. Obviously, a little bit more than they did last year, but um, these teams got to figure it out you know quickly with this shortened season. Um, you know, there's not too many games for them to kind of come back, especially when they have double headers sometimes too, and only you know, a couple of days in between games, but uh, yeah, definitely a good showing for the first weekend. Um, but I, let's talk a little bit about the NLL because that was actually where your pro career began. Um, you're first selected in 1998 draft by the Rochester Nighthawks. Talk about your early NLL experience um, and your first foray in professional lacrosse. Well, I had a little bit of box experience. I, after my senior year of high school, I moved to Toronto and played pro uh, junior A for the Toronto beaches. And that's my first introduction uh, to, box across and it was certainly a learning experience uh we got a, we got hammered four games to zero against peterborough and john grant tracy kluski and company and it was a real big wake-up call but um it uh did help me uh, prepare for a, a great college career and i came in a tip-top condition after a summer of competition there um i played for the aquasasky thunder and the six nations chief throughout college and a little bit after and um as soon as my college career uh, ended uh, i was picked as number one as the rochester nighthawk um, as I mentioned earlier, um, I wasn't really, um, you know, my goal was never to play professional lacrosse. So at the beginning, my heart and my passion weren't completely into it. And I kind of fledgling, I was a fledgling teammate. I, you know, looking back, I wasn't, didn't come to a lot of the practices because I was traveling uh, for, for clinics and stuff like that. And I didn't take it as seriously as I, I normally do. Um, and, uh, but, but I was a part of a great team. I didn't need to be a superstar. Uh, we went to two National Lacrosse League championships, both played in the Maple Leaf Gardens um, uh, the first two years. And after that, I said, hey, I'm not into it completely. Uh, Major League Lacrosse is now here. I'm going to give this up a little bit. So I took uh, a couple of years off. I moved to uh, and based out of uh, Newport Beach, California. And uh, as I was there, kind of the Florida scenario, a team, the Anaheim Storm, started up at the Arrowhead Pond in, in Anaheim. And uh, I said, hey, I'm 15 minutes south. Uh, I'm going to try box lacrosse again. So um, I joined that, and uh, our teams were not good. We were 2-14 uh, and 4-12 and, and, and 12 both seasons. I got to play with my brother Ryan, though. I uh, really got to gain a lot of experience uh, out there. I was the, the team captain, and um, a guy, I was getting a lot of touches and uh, but I was getting my butt kicked a lot. And, uh, you know, they, they're the Canadian boys were, were punishing me and, uh, I took my lumps for sure. So not only, uh, you know, in the corners, but also on the scoreboard. So, um, again, it was, uh, you know, it was tough. It was, it was a challenge. My biggest challenge, uh, of lacrosse was, was playing and learning box lacrosse. And, and, uh, I gave it up again. And, uh, at this, at that time I'd moved back, I got married and was about to have a daughter and I moved it back to New York and uh, kind of the same thing happened, uh, um, you know, by, uh, by happenstance, uh, they started the New York Titans. And uh, at that time, I was older. Uh, I had played, you know, I'd, uh, I had a bunch of experience under my belt from both, both, both professional leagues. And 
Um, I, I came back to the game with a new mindset and a new passion for it. And I had a great uh, coaching staffs and um, a great organization that um, allowed me to kind of do my thing and uh, great teammates like Ryan Boyle and Matt Ulrich, and Pat Menelina and, and Patrick Merrill. And we really meshed and bonded and uh, I got in the best shape of my professional career and, and we gave it a heck of a run. And uh, at that point, I really learned the game. Um, I wasn't intimidated by the Canadians any, any longer. And um, I really felt comfortable out there and in what I was trying to do. And um, so it took me uh, several years to learn it, um, to understand how to use my strengths properly. And, um, you know, throughout that time, it was one of the best time periods of my, my playing career, being able to play uh, box lacrosse. I love the crowds. I love the energy. I love the competition and the challenges. And it was just a, a complete joy to play in the National Lacrosse League. And you kind of talk about that culmination uh, and in 2010, after the, the Titans moved to uh, Orlando, you won that MVP in 2010. What made that uh, year so special, not just for you, but that squad, you know, you were the first seed in the, going into the playoffs that year and you had a really competitive squad. So what, what went into that 2010 season? Yeah. Uh, after a couple of years of playing for Adam Mueller, uh, Eddie Como took over and, um, you know, I learned so much from Adam and I was able to continue learning so much from Ed and uh, he put a great deal of confidence in me and, you know, uh, he, he, he knew how to kind of speak my language and uh, not to overcoach me. And, you know, there were games where I, he'd call me into his room and, you know, in between lunch and heading over to the game, he'd go, Casey, shoot a lot. And <laughs> goes get out of here I go okay so he wanted he had a number in mind where he wanted me to get 15 shots a game knowing that you know I'm going to score enough and I'm going to attract some more attention to open up some of the other guys and stuff like that so um yeah it was just uh, incredible that the kind of the culmination of those uh four years for the Titans uh you know I had similar teammates and and, and we really built a, a system that worked and I made it to the NL finals that year so it was a it was a great accomplishment it was a great team one of my most uh probably my, my best team that I was ever a part of in terms of uh, how tight we were and uh, what we went through to get where we were. That's awesome. And you, you recently were announced as one of the inductees into the NLL Hall of Fame, which is making its return after a six-year hiatus. Uh, when you got the call that you were going to be inducted, uh, what were your thoughts? What was going through your head? Well, as I said, uh, playing box lacrosse uh, in the National Lacrosse League was my greatest challenge as a lacrosse player, uh, uh, learning the game, uh, how tough and physical it is, and learning to deal with all the adversity and, and how to play it. So um, this is up there, uh, certainly with one of my greatest uh, accomplishments, um, especially with the, the group of guys that are on the list. Um, you know, my numbers don't compare to some of the other guys, but uh, I was happy to, uh, to be included, um, certainly honored and and humbled to, uh, to be a part of, uh, the national lacrosse leagues, uh, you know, hall of fame, uh, class, uh, and, uh, thrilled to go in with some of the guys that I've had the opportunity to play with and against. Um, so it's going to be a, a lot of fun. It's a great honor. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely uh, excited to be a part of it. No, absolutely. And the premier lacrosse league just announced their own iteration of the hall of fame called the professional lacrosse hall of fame. Um, you know, you could be on the ballot for that as well in this inaugural season. Uh, any given any thought to your potential to be inducted with this inaugural class, as well as thoughts, you know, with your brother Ryan, who also had a tremendous MLL career. Yeah, um, you know, it's uh, it's. I, I just read an article about the, them having a Hall of Fame, so I haven't really put too much uh, thought into it uh, at all. But um, you know. Uh, it's uh, it's a cool thing that the PLL is doing, and uh, I'm sure they're going to honor uh, the right guys in due time. 
Awesome. Well, we really appreciate uh, your thoughts on the Hall of Fame. We want to go now into our five and five segment, which is where we're going to ask some quick questions. Uh, you can, you know, feel free to elaborate, but you know, it's going to be a little bit more fast paced. And I'll ask you five lacrosse questions and Adam will ask you five off the field questions. And the first one I like to start off with going back to your playing days. Did you have any pregame routines uh, when you played? Um, normally I would just pick up uh, somebody's backup stick and, and play with it. Um, <laughs> was uh, one of my routines. I uh, enjoyed the challenge of learning a new stick uh, throughout different games. So I've used a lot of different sticks throughout my career. So uh, changing it up and, and trying to create mojo within my stick was a, was a big uh, pregame, but um, uh, honestly though, like it's really just trying to try to keep loose. Um, you know, the, the locker room time uh, throughout my career was, was the most fun time being in the locker room with the boys and uh, but not a whole lot of superstitions. Awesome. Yeah. You have to have a little, like very few, if you're the, you know, willing to pick up someone else's stick and go into the game with it. So uh, that's a very great story. Um, number two, what has been your favorite venue to play lacrosse at? Uh, two, uh, actually three, uh, my backyard on 25 North Jefferson street in Carthage, that's where the, the fantasy and the passion uh, created uh, the carrier dome, the greatest on-campus sports facility in America and in front of the, the biggest crowd and, in the U.S. was uh, was awesome, but uh, you know the most famous arena, uh, Madison Square Garden, was uh, was incredible to have the opportunity and to uh, to to end uh, that that career uh, or that opportunity with a with a win over the Rochester Nighthawks is not is something that I'll I'll never forget. So those uh, I was very lucky to play for those venues, and obviously the Loud House in uh, in Colorado was. Uh, was a place I always wanted to, every time I played against him, I always wanted to be on the home team because I wanted that 17,000 fans cheering for me. So uh, luckily I had the opportunity for a year and a half to, to be able to do that. So, but those are my choices. Great choices all around. Number three, who's your favorite lacrosse player to watch right now? Um, and that can be both in the box game or the field game. Um, you know, I think, um, I would have to say uh, Zed Williams uh, is, is really fun to watch. And I think uh, it's really fun watching Matt Rambo. I think uh, his, his composure out there and his toughness and uh, the way that they're meshing and getting the job done. And, and I'm a big, uh, big Tom Schreiber fan as well. So the, those guys are awesome. And, and obviously, uh, you know, it's always fun to, to watch Lyle, um, Lyle play. So those are, those are my four favorite guys to watch right now. That's a good list right there. Uh, number four, who's a teammate or fellow lacrosse player that you've leaned on as a mentor during your career? Um, I, I've really looked up to the uh, John Gray Jr. Um, we've, uh, we've, we've had a, a friendly competition throughout our entire career. We've been playing against each other uh, for a really long time. And, you know, uh, sometimes people call me the best player. Sometimes they call him the best player. And, you know, then we got to be teammates. And, and now we've become really good friends. He's somebody that I've uh, been able to kind of follow and look up to and uh, obviously Gary Gate and uh, the Merrill brothers. I, I, I really like what they stand for and who they are. And uh, I had the opportunity to play with Patrick and be his roommate. So um, those are, those are some of the guys, but it, and, and Pat McCabe uh, was, was a great example, but um, the, the greatest thing about my career in hindsight is the ex experiences and the relationships. And I was able to play with the best players and the best players uh, have the, have the, have the best character um, that, that's, that's who makes it to the top in this game. And, uh, I'm blessed and honored to, to have the opportunity to play so many uh, un incredible players and incredible people. 
That's awesome. And one of the guys you mentioned, John Grant Jr., will be inducted with in the NLL class of 2021 as well. Um, final question, and this one's related to your video game. We like to ask players, you know, who they would like to have on the cover of a video game. You've been on a cover of a lacrosse video game twice now. Side question, will you, we get another Casey Powell video game anytime soon? And who would you like to see take over on the cover if it was someone other than you? Huh. Well, I wouldn't <laughs> take over, um, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about doing another video game. I, to be, you know, uh, transparent, I don't have a whole lot to do uh, with the, with the back end of it and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, a couple months ago, I did a clinic down in, in, uh, uh, for Harlem lacrosse club and they read off my accolades and you could hear a pin drop. Nobody said anything. Then in the background goes, Oh shit, man, that's a guy from the video game. <laughs> um, it's been a, it's been a cool association. Uh, obviously we know the, you know, how, how, how it's, it's, it's a really cool thing uh, to be a part of. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the PLL or the NLL will collaborate and get a, you know, joint game going. And uh, if I had to put somebody on, on the cover, it'd be uh, Lyle Thompson. Awesome. No, I love it. We're definitely looking forward to when they eventually do have another video game. I know me and Adam are itching to play. We played, we actually, we were, we played, uh, we both put ourselves in the, the I think, original one because you could do a, for the Kickstarter, you were able to like get yourself in the video games. So I know me and Adam both paid uh, for that to, to get in the <laughs> video game and probably you pushed our rating call, a little bit. the video game, guys. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. <laughs> um, and I'll take the off the field question. So usually uh, start off with uh, number one. You're, you're obviously, your life is surrounded by lacrosse, but when you're not on the field coaching, playing, all that good stuff, what are some hobbies or activities you enjoy doing? Um, well, I have a mobile home uh, that I like to, uh, to travel around in. Uh, I, you know, um, go to concerts and sporting events and uh, uh, have a lot of fun doing that. And I love to golf. Um, I play, play as much golf as I can when I'm not in the lacrosse fields, but those are my... Uh, couple of my hobbies but normally it's all lacrosse <laughs> uh number two you know you mentioned your your favorite lacrosse players to watch right now but who's uh an athlete in another sport you're really enjoying watching right now um uh, that's a good question let's see i think um I would probably have to say uh, Patrick Mahomes. He comes to mind. Uh, Steph Curry uh, comes to mind. Just two guys that are at the top of their game and uh, continue to get it done. And and I like Larry Bird. Larry Bird. Good answer. Nice. Larry Legend. Uh, And you mentioned your mobile home. This will go perfectly with number three. Favorite spots to vacation. Do you take the mobile home with you or, or do you fly? Well, um, I think uh, Australia was my favorite place to visit. I did the lacrosse tour there, and I, can't, I hope to visit again someday. Um, but uh, I think in the in the U.S., my favorite spot, besides where I have a place in Delray Beach, is uh, Isla Morada in the Keys. Um, that's my favorite places to 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 bring the RV. But uh, the fun thing about uh, the mobile home is, you know, I've been able to visit a lot of different places, and uh, one place I'll be is uh, what I call Lacrosse Heaven. I'll be in uh, Lake Placid, New York, twice with it this summer, so I'm excited to go up there, and it's a uh, it's a great place to be. Great. Uh, number four, favorite meal, and you prefer to dine out, take out, or cook at home? Well, I uh, I dine out almost every night. I would say night, <laughs> but uh, there's something on the menu. There's two things on the menu that I can never uh, turn down, and that's lasagna. Uh, I, I love lasagna, and uh, I love my mom's meatloaf. Uh, so th- those are my two uh, two favorites. Awesome. Uh, and my last off the field question, 
you know, we're all consuming a lot over quarantine when that was going on. Uh, any books, podcasts, or, or TV shows or movies you'd recommend to, to our listeners? Um, I really like the John Gordon books. Um, yeah. I think he does a great job, and he, he, the way they're written um, are really relative. So I, not only do I read his books and, and listen to him, uh, you know, talk on his Twitter, but he, also, he has a daily message every day so uh, my favorite author is uh, is john gordon and i read his books often awesome yeah well that, that wraps up our five and five and uh we appreciate your time casey we do have one final question for you and that is what is some advice you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professionally well um at syracuse uh coach simmons always put on the board one eighteen twenty four, and uh He's not overly religious, but it really, it breaks down to today is the day the Lord giveth rejoice and be glad in it. Um, I think uh, it's not about what you did yesterday. It's not about what you're going to do tomorrow, but it's about giving all you got today. And, and that's what it takes. So uh, it's compound interest, a good practice, a good practice, good practice, good practice helps you build up. So pay attention to detail, do the little things. I'll work the competition and uh, we'll see you on NBC Pe- uh, Peacock someday. I love it. I love that answer. Um, yeah, and we're definitely looking forward to the rest of this PLL season. We'll have to get your thoughts too, you know, later as the season progresses on how teams are doing. But uh, thanks again, Casey, for joining us. And congrats again on being inducted into the NLL Hall of Fame. Thanks, fellas. All right, so welcome back. We really appreciate Casey joining us. I think I speak on behalf of us, Adam, when I say that was a bucket list interview and we really enjoyed having him on. Such a casual guy, you know, talking with one of the greatest to play the sports and he was just so casual. Um, you know, I had had a few interactions with him prior. So there was that, you know, comfortability a little bit there, but still, I don't know about you. I, I was a little bit starstruck in that interview. There we go. Yeah. It was awesome to talk to Casey and looking forward to working with him going forward. Absolutely. Um, but now let's get into our game picks a little bit. Um, we're going to preview these upcoming matchups. Um, and we'll start with the heavy Canadian battle between the chaos and the water dogs. Isaac, I'll start with you. Who do you like in this game and why? You know, I'm going to go with the water dogs. I, I think, I don't want to say what I've seen from the chaos has frightened me, but their offense still, even in the scrimmages, just hasn't necessarily seemed to be fully clicking. And I think Dylan Ward's going to come out kind of a man on fire as a, not to steal the water dogs fire, but a revenge game for him. So give me the water dogs. Yeah. You, you stole it right from my mouth. Isaac. I was going to say the dogs are going to have their day. Dylan Ward uh, backed up blaze last year. I still think Dylan Ward's one of the best goalies of, uh, uh, in the, in the league. And, uh, you know, we may see that first round pick that Andy Towers got, uh, in that deal, bite, bite the water dogs down the line, but I think it'll be Ward that gets the W, uh, this week with coach Copeland. All right. I'm going to differ. I'm going to go chaos. Um, you know, I, I have some big question marks around both those teams. I think though, I have big question marks on both the water dogs defense and offense. Whereas I, I feel pretty comfortable with the chaos offense still, um, again, qu- big question marks on the defense, but I think their style is going to really disrupt this water dogs. I think it could get, you know, really, really messy. I think on the offensive end for the water dogs defensive side for the chaos, you know, you're going to have an aggressive chaos team against uh, a pretty sloppy water dogs offense, you know, unless they can get it together. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see kind of who wins that battle, but I think the real battle will be won on, you know, the chaos offense versus water dogs defense that we think on paper can really, you know, step it up and perform. So I, I think that's where the real battle is going to be. We'll see, you know, how Dylan Ward and uh, both Dylan Ward and Blaze Reardon doing cage, but um, I'm going to go chaos in this game. Moving on to Whips Cannons, we have the two-time defending champs against last year's MLL champions, obviously a new look. So that's kind of just a, 
you know, moniker that we can give them despite that not being really the case. They only have a handful of players from that 2020 Cannons team on their roster. But who do you guys like in this game? You know, I I want to be different and say Cannons, but the Whip Snakes haven't lost since before John Desco was coaching at Syracuse. So I, I got to go Whip Snakes. Yep, same here. I, I think the – I know we're not the bet on podcast, but it'd be hard to bet against the Whips until they lose a game. Yeah, I, I'm going to go Whips as well. And, yeah, the Whips haven't lost in something like over 400, 500 days. You know, it was 2019 that they last lost their game. And obviously last year was a shortened season. But, um, yeah, I, I think the Whips are just too good systematically. I think Cans are going to give them a good game. Whenever you have Lyle Thompson, you're going to have a chance. And I'm looking forward to seeing – you know, Lyle Thompson's team going up against Matt Rambo's team. There's definitely some exciting matchups um, in that game to, to, to watch out for, especially at the stripe, you know, between Nardella and either the combination of Simino or Kelly or, or one of those guys. So that's going to be kind of where I think it's going to lean, you know, definitely in the whips favor, but I'm going whip sinks as well. Moving on, we have Redwoods versus the Atlas. Um, this is kind of the Brent Adams game. You know, he was on the Redwoods last year, got traded. Uh, he got picked up on expansion by cans and then traded to the Atlas eventually. But uh, who do you like in this game, Adam? Yeah, I think similar to the last, you know, you can't bet against the whips. I'd say the same thing with based off of how we saw the woods play last week and how the Atlas played too. So uh, as much as I think Brent will have an awesome game, I'm going to take woods. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I haven't seen enough from the Atlas to bet against the woods right now. And the woods are just, we talked about woods are a wagon. I'm taking the woods. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree. I think the Woods are going to give them um, a pretty pretty good game. And I think the Atlas, you know, are going to make it close still. But I'm going to need to see a little bit more from the Atlas. Hopefully they can get Jeff Teat, you know, in the coming weeks. It's definitely not going to be this weekend. Um, and it might be, you know, maybe a month out, to be honest. But definitely want this Atlas team to kind of give a better showing than they did. Hopefully Jack and Cannon plays a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, I got to go Woods in this one as well. Moving on to Chrome Water Dogs. Uh, this is another chance for the Water Dogs to get a victory and the chance, Chrome's chance to get their first victory this season. Who do you guys like in this game? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to, as much as I think it's going to be a great weekend for the Dogs, I'm going to take Chrome in this one. You know, I, I saw enough from them at the end of, of last week to, to think they're going to continue to be competitive. And I think uh, their, their offense started gelling a little bit despite uh, the loss of Jordan Wolf. And uh, I think uh, they're going to have a good week too, and they're going to get in the win column. I mean, great minds think alike, Adam. We've picked every game together so far. We're going to go here. I think Water Dogs, I think they've got they've got a good squad, but a rested Chrome team against the Water Dog team that's going to be coming out of a, a total battle with the chaos. Give me the Chrome. They showed a lot last weekend, and I, I think they're going to win this one. I'm going Chrome as well for that exact reason that you mentioned, Isaac, with the rest. Um, I honestly probably would have leaned Water Dogs just given the fact that I think they're going to be hungrier. You know, coming, I think the Chrome – Chrome definitely hungry for a victory as well, but I think the water dogs got a little bit embarrassed against the cannons, you know, and the other expansion team you could say. So I think they're going to come out hungry, but you know, it, it's going to take a lot for them to not only go up against a, probably a tough chaos team um, and then go up against this Chrome team that has shown they can put up points despite even having a loss of Jordan Wolf and Randy Stotts. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to go Chrome in this one as well. Now moving on to the chaos versus archers, our final game of the weekend, the chaos is second game of the weekend. Who do you guys like in this one? Those give arrows me, are good. Go ahead, Isaac. Give me give me a fresh archers offense any day of the week. I'll take the archers. 
Yep, not much more needs to be said. Archers, those arrows will be flying. Yeah, no, I like the chaos in uh, game one, but I got to go archers in this one. Um, you know, I think where we could see the scale tip in the chaos's favor a little bit if Max Adler has a big day against Stephen Kelly um, at the stripe. I think that's where you could see the chaos, you know, give archers a really, really good game. But I think it's going to be high scoring. I think, you know, and I think really it's not going to come down to the archers offense, what they can do. I think they're going to put up points, but what they're going to do on defense. And I think they're going to disrupt this chaos team enough to get the W in this one. So going archers as well, but that wraps up our podcast. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe, leave us a five-star review. Also make sure to check out the bet on lacrosse podcast. If you're planning on betting on lacrosse on PLL this summer um, and, you know, check out, our, our wager woes segment too, that we have been putting out on Mondays. If you took the under and the Archer's Chrome game, uh, we feel for you and we have a little something special for you. And uh, that is our own Dan Newbert sharing in your misery um, on Twitter. But uh, yeah, if you are planning on betting on lacrosse and on the PLL this summer, definitely check out that podcast dropping every Wednesday and definitely be sure to check out Isaac's article on Jackson place dropping this week, as well as his weekend wraparound from PLL week one, but we appreciate you guys tuning in and we hope you tune in next time to pro lacrosse talk. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode is sponsored by Ducan Supply Co. Ducan is a men's body care brand that features an array of military-inspired products from their signature big-ass bar of soap to their bourbon-infused beard oil. I personally use their big bourbon beard oil that is made with a hint of buffalo trace. I like the oak barrel scent that it gives off, and it makes me feel good about my beard, even if it's not as nice as the one that Adam's sporting these days. As an Army Reservist, I also love that they donate a portion of their proceeds to U.S. veterans. So go ahead and check out Ducan, use our code LAX10 to receive 10% off your order, and find your own signature scent.